Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. So fulfilled is the name of the whole week of services. We're focusing on how Christ fulfilled all the prophecies about him. And he did. And it would take so long to go over each one. And I mean, it's, it would be wonderful. But throughout the week, we've been touching on the ones that especially show up in the narrative of the passion, as we call it. Christ's last days, what we call Holy Week. And for Good Friday, it is a different service in each place. And I see that some of you are, you're at church too. So you're here. So you've already, you've already been to Port Jervis, and now you're here, and it is a different sermon. Maybe you're here just to check to make sure that that's so. I don't know. Am I standing in the wrong place? Or Okay, all right. So we started in Matthew 26, verse 31, and got to 56 last time, looking at Zechariah as one of the prophecies fulfilled there. And we focused on pain. And by the way, each theme starts with the same letter, so you know I'm, I'm still okay, you know, because I got the, the alliteritis. You got to have that as a pastor. So this, this next sermon and, and this next set of verses really brings out the price. See, that's a P. Price that people will pay, sometimes for things that are worthless. And, and we really have a trio of, of characters that pay an unusual price and, and get something of, of no value for it in the process of Christ's suffering. As I mentioned last service at four in Port Jervis, we tend to rush through the part that leads up to the cross and we focus on the cross. And it is all about Christ purchasing us through his death on the cross. He paid the price for our sins. He became sin for us, it says in the scriptures. So, of course, it's the centerpiece of our faith. I remember the first time, I, I really didn't grow up in the church, and the first, the only church I ever really went to was Goodwill. And uh, that, one of the reasons I'm an Air Force chaplain is because we were talking about me becoming the pastor of Goodwill, and I, and I said, I, I got to have a little more experience because I haven't been to any other church, really. I mean, I visited here or there. But the first service I went to at Goodwill Church was a Good Friday service. And I remember I, I knew it was important. You know, I was, I was ready for it. And I showed up in my best suit. And I was the only one there in a suit. And I stuck out, which I don't really like doing. But it was, it was so important to me. And I knew that I have what I have. Jesus did, you know, for me what he did for me because of what he did on this day, because of what he accomplished, because of his work on the cross. It's, what's, it's what he's done, not what I do. And I could trust in that. So as we, we look at the story leading up to that, there's, there's all kinds of, of wisdom and, and insight. Some of Christ's best teachings are the things he teaches through how he handles himself, 
and, and what happens around him as he heads towards his Father's will for his life, as he heads towards the cross. And so tonight, here in Beacon, we're looking at Matthew 26, 57 through 27, 10. And the prophecy we'll be focusing on is Jeremiah's prophecy. There's also a bit of Zechariah in there as well. And so I, I start by thrilling you with two old books. I love old books. Maybe Tim is with me, and that's it. He's probably not. He wants to know what's in these books, you know? So I, I am all excited about the Antiquarian Book Fair that's happening in New York City, April 27th through 30th. It's the biggest book fair that there is. Uh, I, I love the movie, The Book Sellers. It's about antique booksellers. It was made in 2019. I watch it all the time, and the, the, my kids can sense it in the, in the next room, and I can just hear the groan. They, they just... They, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're so bored with it. And I, I love watching it, and I can do things while watching it. And as the pastor of Goodwill, I have an almost 300-year-old library. So I have all these antique books. Like this is The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, and this is the second best-selling book of all time, the Bible being the first. And this one is 100 years old, and it was actually signed by a former pastor of Goodwill from the 50s who only served a couple of years and then he died. I don't, I don't know what happened to him, but he died in the pulpit. Not in the, he, was, he was the pastor of the church at the time. That's the dramatic thing to die in the pulpit. Maybe that's what every pastor wants and every church doesn't want. Like, please, die somewhere else. But he, uh, he received this book. It says, you know, he signed it here. And it May 14th, 1923, 100 years ago, right? And it's a souvenir from the superintendent presented at the 40th anniversary of the Bethany Sunday School, Philadelphia. That's exciting. It was back then. It will be again, I trust. So this, I don't know how much it's worth. It can be one of the books that I bring. There's a time during the book fair where you can bring old books and find out what they're worth. Most of the time, religious books, especially Christian books, aren't worth as much as you'd think. But a couple of copies of this, and this might be one of them, are worth $20,000, $15,000, $10,000. And I know we have a couple of books in the library that are worth that much. And here's... Here's a book that's older. It's in not as good a condition. It's in this plastic here, and, and I can pull it out. It's Paul Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress. Not Paul Bunyan. John Bunyan, right? Got that wrong. That was a funny uh, slip. And it is from 17... Look how old it is. It's from 1799. The Life of John Bunyan. So it's, it's the author... So it's not even Pilgrim's Progress. It's a little biography of John Bunyan, and uh, it's worth about $50. I know that. So what's interesting is that I could pay $50 for this or even $10,000 for this if it's worth that. It might not be. And that would be one value. That would be one price. But what if I read what was in here? And what if 
It changed me. How much would that be worth? And, and this contrast of value, this comes up in a big way in the story of Christ's passion. Now, we talked about it earlier. The, the crucifixion is, is a study of pain, not just excruciating physical pain, but potentially worse, spiritual and emotional pain. That's what Christ went through. But it's also a study of value or price, not just physical or financial price, but the deeper price, the higher cost, the immeasurable value. So prior to Christ's crucifixion, we witness in the Scripture deals being made, positions being taken, items and people and reputations really being sold in one way or another. So you see some business getting done in these verses, in these chapter, these two or three chapters before the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. So we, we pick up in Matthew 26, 57 through 68, and it's a scene featuring all these religious officials. And, and let me just kind of give something away right now. Everything we see in Matthew 26 is religious people, Christian people, or Jewish people, people that are supposed to be, anyway, seeking God. And after they're all done, through their business, through their work, Christ is handed to the Romans, and the Romans take over in Matthew 27. But they don't get him until he goes through this. We've noted that he's already struggled with God. His struggle is over. His struggle ended, as ours does, when he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, with his struggle ended, his suffering still had to come. He had a, he had a, a whole unimaginable odyssey of suffering in front of him. But the struggle is over, and he's walking through it. That brings us to Matthew 26, verse 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? 
can hear probably the laughter and the other sounds of approval from the crowd, the group there surrounding Christ. So in all of this, you see that there are things of value, things that come at a cost or a price, such as political capital or social influence. Power, after all, is the oldest and greatest commodity. Powerful men of old could steal your money. They could take your women. Forget the oldest profession. Money is the real currency. Here, those in power religiously are accruing more power for themselves at Christ's expense. Or at least that's how they view it. Now, I know about religious power and position, maybe more than many of you do. I've seen it, good, bad, and ugly. And I can tell you that these men here that we've just read about feel greatly threatened. They are on the defense. And it, I, I'm always curious about Peter because now you know that he already was told by Christ prior to our reading that he would deny him three times. And then Peter kind of sneaks in the back just to check out what's going on. He's not an advocate for Christ. He's not speaking up. He's just kind of watching. And he sees all this going on. And he sees the, the animation in these men, the irritation. Jesus has gotten under their skin. They are on the defense and this is fascinating to me because I think that at least some of them know that Jesus is the Christ. They know. They were students of Scripture. They knew the prophecies, the same prophecies I've been talking about this week. They knew them, and they knew they could see that he fulfilled them. And they, they hated it. It was the stuff of their nightmares. They would have killed him themselves if it would not jeopardize their image in other eyes. And that was important to them, what other people thought of them. And then, and this exchange in verse 63 and 64, if you have your Bible, I'll, I'll just remind you if you don't. So Jesus just chills them to the bone when he talks about the power. He uses the word power there in verse 64. And these men had a lot. They had a lot to lose. It's always the case. But notice how... They spoke about God in verse 63, the verse right before Jesus says this really, is that it? Did it die? No. You can still hear me? All right, cool. Jesus says this, this amazing thing about him, you know, and, and, and the power of God, and, and he paints this picture of them that, that, that terrifies them. Well, right before he said that, in verse 63, you have that high priest saying, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. He jumps to that. He's, they're, 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 they're waiting for accusations to come in. They've got false witnesses. It says, finally, two came forward that they could use. So they're struggling just to get the witnesses they need to establish a case to get rid of this guy, except a lot of them apparently you know, you can't know for sure, but the way it's written, it, it makes us wonder. More than a few of them were, were looking right at Jesus, and, and this guy especially, 
the high priest, you know, Caiaphas, he, he, uh, he just asked the question right out. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? And he, he, he mentions, he name drops God. I adjure you by the living God. That shows you what he values, the currency that he's working with. I, I speak for God. Now you tell me who you think you are. Mm, and he did. He did. And right after this, you see somebody totally different, perhaps bankrupt in every way, spiritually, financially. He's, he's at the bottom, Peter. And he still, with no power, no, not, not trying to, to, to put a price on anything, still you see him make the same set of choices. So we've seen the priests. Now we see Peter. And of course they're different, but how different are they? Let me read these words. Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And he went out to the entrance. Another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up, and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So what was Peter after there? What was he trying to protect or preserve? What was he paying for with his denial, hoping to purchase for himself, for his life? We can only guess, but my guess is that our guess might come close because we're not very different. In many ways. That's why these stories are in the Bible the way they are. So we can recognize ourselves in them. And so we can take personally what Christ did and what he said. So Peter may have been being shown that he was not much different than Judas. He viewed Jesus as a means to an end. And that end wasn't working out anymore. That end was a means of securing some sense of power, some sense of forward progress. Of course, he might have viewed himself as more virtuous than Judas, and we might too, but I'm not sure Jesus would see the difference, especially in the motivation. When you're in Israel, you can visit the spot where this happened, and our, our tour guide takes us to the spot and shows us that Peter would be in one place and Jesus would be in another. And 
easily with an eye shot. So Jesus would have heard these denials. And uh, there's always this poignant picture of Jesus looking Peter straight in the eye. And that likely was what sent him running and weeping, broken in every way that a man can be broken. And so he had lost a sense of what's worth something here. And, and we wanted to stop and to think for a moment before we get to, to Rome and the conclusion of, of Judas, what would your price be? Like, what would it take to buy you off? Think of all that had been lost and sold for us to get here to the next chapter and think about who sold who out and why. Again, I mentioned earlier, it was religious people so far. That moves us into Matthew 27. When the morning came, I can stop right there for a moment, so when you go to Israel, you can visit where Jesus spent the night. You can go to the very place, not disputed. You can put your hand on the stone where his, his face was, see where he was tied up. There's, there's different spots in Jerusalem for different events in the Passion of the Christ. This one is just this one spot. We know where it is. We know where Caiaphas' house is. And uh, when you go there on a pilgrimage, there are people from all over the world, and everyone just goes down into this, this dungeon area where Christ was held. And it's, there's nothing like it. And... That's where he was until this morning. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. So now, if you read earlier or you're familiar with the text before, the text we're looking at at this service, you know that Judas sold Christ out. The 30 pieces of silver, that fits a prophecy as well. And we looked at that. So what would his conclusion be? What would, what would Judas tell us about why he did this and if it worked out for him and was it worth it? Well, he speaks directly to us in the next verses, in a manner of speaking. Matthew 27, 3 through 10. Then, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken 
by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. So there's a price to pay for the choices we make. Sometimes our blindness to this fact leads us to dark places. Essentially, as we look at these stories, it's a safe bet to assume that the way you or I value things needs correction. Just start there. Here's how I see the world. Here's what I think is valuable. I'm probably wrong. Let me just admit that I'm wrong, Lord. Show me what things are really worth. What is worth my time and my life? What has value and what doesn't? We are a people confused about such things, and when we read these stories in Scripture, we see that this confusion is nothing new at all. And it's sewn into, it's embedded into the story of the passion of the Christ. So you got priests, you got Peter, you got Judas, all paying a high price, some higher than others, teaching us a lesson. In the end, anytime we value something more than God, it is idolatry. And Judas further teaches us that if we don't let Jesus pay the price for us, We end up paying it ourselves, and we never can. So the prophecy fulfilled in all of this, mentioned there in 10, verses 9 and 10, is from Jeremiah and Zechariah. Both are harsh. Jeremiah is a little bit long. But it's Jeremiah 19, verses 1 through 13. And it starts, thus says the Lord, go by potter's earthenware flask and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entrance of the pottery gate and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did that come into my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. When this place shall no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And in this place I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem, and will cause the people to fall by the sword before their enemies, and by the hand of those who seek their life. And it goes on in this same vein for quite a bit, and it matches up with and is merged with some words from Zechariah in chapter 11, just two verses here. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. 
and they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. As you can see, the, the ancient prophecy written centuries before being fulfilled by Christ. And really, in the end, Judas especially represents all of us who seek what is good to our own eyes, replacing God with idols of power, religious power, money, security, promotion, position, prestige, and the like. The perspective in these scenes from Christ's passion help us in two ways. They they give us two lines of guidance. Number one, don't wear yourself out chasing the wind or worthless treasure. What did the priests gain? What power did they keep for themselves? What was that power worth? Did the man who name-dropped the name of God, what do we know of him now except that he was wrong? And, and what did Peter gain? Well, Peter was redeemed through this, but at the moment, he would tell you he gained nothing at all, and he would have been much better off to have kept his word. He didn't. And Judas, of course, the worst of all. And as I said last time, the older I get, the more I regret how I resemble Judas. How does this apply to you on this Good Friday? What, what value are you putting on things? As a pastor, I know that many people have expectations that wear them out. and Those expectations have nothing to do with God. And they're down and they're depressed and they're unhappy and they're desperate for something that just doesn't matter and is not worth it. It just will take rather than give in the end. Let me pray. Lord, we were here on this night. It was hours ago that the, the darkness came across the land from the sixth to the ninth hours, from noon to 3 p.m. It's hours ago that you were, were proclaimed dead by the, the, the spear thrust into your side with the water proving the point. You were gone physically, dead. And we see all the, the, the scheming and the, just the, the way people are, the way people who were close to you People who knew better. All these people were reading about, Lord. The priests included. They knew. They knew your word. Peter and Judas knew you personally in a way that we can only dream of or imagine. Yet been with them for three years. And now, look at the state they're in. All because they forgot what was worth what. We're the same. Forgive us for that. Change us on the inside. Remind us that you, 
you are worth everything. That a life with you is better than a life without you every day of the week. Remind us. Remind us as we move to the table of who you are. You said to do this in remembrance of you. We do this that we may remember you and what you did and how you set us free from chasing the wind all the foolish and deadly pursuits of our lives. Oh, we're grateful, Lord. We're quiet tonight, but we're grateful. We're thoughtful tonight. We're thinking things over. But that's in the context of appreciating and being thankful like never before what you've done for us. There is nothing more valuable in any of our lives than you, Lord Jesus, and what you did for us on the cross at Calvary this night. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.